Hello and welcome to The Pulse. And our topic this week, the events of June 4th, 25 years ago, and how they're being commemorated and how, 25 years on, there are attempts to dim or even suppress the memory of these events. In the second part of the show, we'll be looking back over the 25 years of vigils and at the new crop of Tiananmen Square deniers in Hong Kong. First though, while Hong Kong has long been a beacon for public remembrance of the June 4th crackdown, there are also those in Taiwan who are determined not to let it be forgotten. We filmed commemoration events there and talked to China specialist Perry Link. For 25 years, Hong Kong has held the most prominent vigils to commemorate those slaughtered in the Tiananmen Square crackdown. This year, thousands joined in a similar commemoration in Taipei's Liberty Square. Former student leaders from the 1989 protests and leaders of the Sunflower Movement once again called for democracy and urged the Chinese government to stop oppressing dissidents. Zither 刘霞去监狱告诉他诺奖的好消息的时候，他没显得特别高兴，只说了一句话：“这是为了六四的冤魂。”一个用。Perry Ling, who was in Beijing during the Tiananmen crackdown and is an expert in China affairs, spoke at the commemoration. He's currently a visiting scholar in Taiwan and a co-author of several books on what happened. Steve Vines spoke to him through Skype about his experiences at that time and his views on China 25 years after Tiananmen Square. Just last night, I went down to the Liberty Square in Taipei, where there was a commemoration of the June 4th massacre. I felt the crowd last night was learning that Taiwan's future is bound up with China's future, just as Hong Kong's is. And if they really want to protect democracy and civil society in Taiwan, which I must say is a very comfortable, lovely civil society, I'm pleased with that. But they were realizing that if they want to preserve that, they can't just isolate themselves and pretend Taiwan is Taiwan and mainland is mainland. They've got to face the mainland and somehow uh, try to help the mainland. Because if the mainland stays as 
repressive and aggressive as it is and is recently turning to be more so, then it's very dim for Taiwan no matter how lovely we are on this small island. Can I just start by asking you whether you think that since 1989 the level of repression against dissidents, against those in the democracy movement ha has increased or not? If you start from 89 and go till now, you'd have to say it's gone up and down. I would say that the first three years after the massacre, from 89 to 92, when Deng Xiaoping took his famous southern tour, were probably the three most stultifying years since the Mao era. Uh, then it's been up and down until recently, uh, after Xi Jinping took over, there were a few months when everyone was guessing about which way it might turn because there was a sense that he knew something different had to be tried and we were waiting to see what it would be. Now it's clear that in that regard about controlling internal dissent, his decision has been to tighten. I think it's fair to say that most of the better known dissidents now don't live in China. They live overseas, mainly in the United States and France. Are those people still really relevant to the process of political change? They're relevant, but not nearly as relevant as the ones who stay inside China. Right after the massacre, a lot of intellectuals fled. A lot of them came to Princeton University, where I was. We had about 25 of them, Fang Lijiu, Liu Binian, Su Xiaokang, Chen Kuide, Su Shaozhi, Ran Ming, Chen Yizi, I could go on and on. And at the time, the Communist Party didn't want them to leave. They had to escape, and some of them escaped on the Yellowbird operation that people in Hong Kong helped to build. But that changed over the years because the party authorities themselves figured out that when these people go abroad, they do lose relevance. They lose their audience. They lose their credibility with the audience in a certain sense because people who stay inside China say, well, you people went out and are living fat city lives outside. Now, they, a lot of them didn't live fat city lives. A lot of them had a lot of trouble overseas. But on the whole, their relevance, as you just noted, has declined. And that made the party decide that, okay, now instead of trying to keep them in, we'll shoo them out. And recently, that's been the policy. And then you get someone like Liu Xiaobo, the Nobel Prize winner who sits in prison, who clearly has been offered several times, he and his wife Liu Xia, the option of exile. The party would like to get this issue out of their hair by exiling him. But people like Liu Xiaobo have taken the principled stand of saying, you can leave me in prison, but I won't leave. And he's not alone. There are others now, including those uh, dozen who met in Hao Jian's home, five of whom have been criminally charged. That kind of person are also uh, inheritors of the June 4th tradition but haven't fled, and are therefore much more relevant inside China. This lawyer, Pu Zhiqiang, uh, was, he's interesting because he's not only one of those elite intellectuals I was talking about a moment ago. He also connected with the people who were doing the mass incidents. 
So a person like that uh, really does a lot, a lot of good. And the others who stay in China and try to push from inside uh, do more good than the ones outside. But I wouldn't want to say the ones outside are irrelevant. Some people who I talk to on the mainland and who are close to people there say that they're very despondent now about the prospects for social and political change and that they think that in some ways the Communist Party has won the argument. It's delivering prosperity in ways that it wasn't delivering before and that, you know, as far as political reform is going, it's going nowhere. I would agree that the prospects are, are dim. Uh, I don't buy the Communist Party's argument that it has delivered prosperity. It likes to use that phrase, and Westerners often buy it. I think most people in China don't buy it. They can see what happened. The economic boom in China happened mainly because you had hundreds of thousands of migrant laborers who did low-level manufacturing for the world market, made a lot of money. And the people who benefited most from that were the Communist Party elite and their, that level of the political elite. And it became an economic elite who became fabulously wealthy. I mean, the top leader's personal wealth is in the hundreds of millions of dollars right down the line. Several of them have been exposed, but I think all of them follow that pattern. Ordinary people in China also, on average, have had their living standards go up, but they see that the, they, the workers, have done the lifting, not the Communist Party. The Communist Party has been lifted to opulent wealth. There have been surveys by good social scientists that have shown, and I, I believe these surveys, that the real reason for the resentment among the populace is not the big wealth gap per se, but the perception that it was gained unfairly because the people on top were in a position to be corrupt and to manipulate resources, to take graft, and so on. So when we say the Communist Party has delivered prosperity, we need to examine exactly what that means. Well, Perry Link, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Welcome back. While writers and historians like Perry Link and Chinese communities worldwide are determined not to forget what happened in June in Beijing 25 years ago, mainland China, of course, is the centre of denial. And this year, even in Hong Kong streets, the deniers were out.
students uh, from CHK uh, who uh, joined the uh, Beijing protests in the, uh, during the student movement in Beijing. And this is a, a very important part of our uh, history of uh, the student movement in Hong Kong. at that moment of time, I am not young. Okay, I'm viewing from different channels and reading newspaper, and a lot of witnesses come out to talk about it. This is the truth that I should believe. I think those guys will do anything for for money, you know, maybe for power they can exchange in mainland China, they can deserve maybe a better life, but they sold out their conscience. They know they are telling lies, because not even the leaders in Beijing say these things anymore. So these things have been repeated by the agents in Hong Kong which the leaders themselves do not remain. Hey,老师! 认识你们的英勇牺牲对此我们感到非常光荣他是滕彪他是为权的师新公文运动的发起人之一他们抓记者然后抓为记者呼吁的记者然后抓为记者辩护的律师然后再抓为记者辩护的律师的辩护律师但是就像香港人在街头上喊出的那样You can't kill us all 
Well, the protests have been going on for 25 years in all weathers, in all temperatures and in all changing political climates. Let's just look back on this long history of June 4th commemorations.
can we lose inside Victoria Park? We have 150,000 我雖然已經七十九歲，而且患上癌病，但係只要活著一日，都同大家手牽手、肩並肩，走到目的地。